1: your wise rise up see the signs of the times if it's time rise rise up rise up when death and hell dwell among all god's people when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil when the feast that feeds you stars our father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing rise up when famine claims millions when justice gives blind eyes to billions when the lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up rise up Hey, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthus with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the April 12th broadcast in this fifth consecutive year of new abolitionist radio. We're 15 weeks into the insanity called the Trump administration and literally on the brink of a world war that could erupt at any moment. On this day in 1861, the American Civil War began when General P.G.T. Beauregard opened fire on the Union-held Fort Sumter in South Carolina's Charleston Bay. Two days later... U.S. President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation calling for 75,000 volunteer soldiers to quell the Southern insurrection. All of this began over the issue of legalized slavery. Also, as we mentioned at the end of last week's broadcast, some 20,000 convicted drug offenders in Massachusetts will have their cases thrown out because of a rogue state police chemist who brazenly fabricated evidence. We're keeping you updated. Later... We'll listen to a video from a friend of ours by the name of David Colmer. David is running as the Green candidate for, the, for Congress in the special election on June 20, 2017 for South Carolina's Congressional District 5. You really should hear what he has to say about modern-day slavery. In the news, senators seek to reform the justice system nationwide by launching the National Criminal Justice Commission. They say the scope of the review is vast, involving all aspects and all areas of the criminal justice system. We'll add our voices and opinions as abolitionists. Then, in the case known as Menacol versus Geo Group, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, TVPA, is being used in an anti-slavery lawsuit. The suit could be used as a basic template for other litigation challenging the use of slave labor through incarceration. This is the first time a private prison contractor has been sued for violating the TVPA. We're watching and reporting. If time allows, we want you to hear a chilling message from the Lake County Sheriff Office Community Engagement Unit. You really should see the video as well, but if you didn't think we were in the twilight zone before, you will now. Tonight we begin a brand new segment called For Freedom's Sake, a history of rebellion. And it's pretty apt that we begin it on the anniversary of the Civil War beginning. This new, for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion begins with the Stono Rebellion, the catalyst that spawned the Negro Act of 1740. A rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad is Roosevelt Glenn, who was convicted in a 1989 gang rape case and has been exonerated after serving 16 years in prison. Our abolitionist and profile this week will be provided by Scotty Reed. Time is short, so are tempers. So let's go. If you got a question or comment, you can call us toll free at 1-866-510-9025. And if you want to chat with others in our private chat room, you can log in at com slash black talk radio network. Once again, I'm Max Farkas. What's happening, brother Scotty?
0: Hey, what's going on, Max? Uh, what's going on, listeners? Good to be with you uh, tonight. Feeling a little bit under the weather with some sort of stomach virus from something I ate, but I'm going to do my best to hang in there. Uh, hopefully, we'll have Johanny, uh joining us shortly uh, so he can pick up some of the, uh, my slack tonight.
1: Word, man. Uh, hopefully, you feel better. And uh, just a tip, never, 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 ever, ever, ever eat sardines, ever, <laughs> ever, period. But uh, yeah, man. You know, we got an anniversary coming up, too, we were just talking about. Uh, amazing coincidences with it as well. June 13th, coming up in a couple months away, will be the fifth an- anniversary of New Abolitionist Radio. It's also the anniversary of the signing of the 14th Amendment. And it's the anniversary, as I mentioned earlier, Scotty, of Prismatic Dreams, which was founded in uh, 1999. And it is one of the oldest and largest spoken word organizations in America.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's cool, man.
1: Yeah, that's that is pretty slick, man. i was been
0: about the other day just how long we've been on air with uh, New Abolitionist Radio. You know, there's many programs that have come and go on the Black Talk Radio Network, but uh this is one of the ones that have definitely stuck around uh with a focus on the uh, of fulfilling a mission, and that mission is Using this new media technology to tell the world that the United States been lying for the last hundred and fifty years about abolishing slavery, and that Lincoln really got, um, uh, really betrayed the uh, Union soldiers who had joined the military. Specifically, I'm not talking about the ones that were drafted, um, uh, fresh off the boat, as we've seen, you know, Irish coming over here and then being drafted um into uh the military but no i'm talking about the uh hundreds of thousands of formerly enslaved africans uh who had had uh, left the plantations and made their way north to join the Jun- the uh union army as well as the free blacks who uh picked up Um, the arms seeing it as a chance to free their their, uh, brothers and sisters in bondage and awful interestingly you want to talk about coincidence uh, I got banned from Facebook today (laughs) I got put in jail for like 24 hours uh, because a post I made had some language in it that they said violated their community guidelines and in in this post I was talking about the 13th amendment and how Lincoln had betrayed those union troops when he sat down with confederates and allowed them some input in the right in the 13th amendment. Uh, I mean, once I found that out, I was like, no wonder that loophole is in there. Of course it is. Of course it is. And so I felt like, you know, from military standpoint, me being former military, that that was actually high treason. Uh, You know, he's the, he was the commander in chief. I looked at that as high treason, against every abolitionist soldier and, and what, you know, uh, what do they do to treat to uh, people who commit acts of treason? Well, they execute them. And I said, you know, um, and I talked about him uh, being just like the rest of them racist crackers. So apparently they don't like the term. I, I, I suspect they didn't say, but racist crackers, because I can't imagine them taking issue with anything else, but people do take issue with this very program. So, but I'm, I lived in the South, I was born in the South. I didn't create the word cracker. And if some people is offended by that word, then I will point you to the First Amendment. But I also tell you, well, look up the definition. There are several definitions. The, the, um, the racist white male who was cracking the whip on his victims was called a cracker by some people. Uh, also, it's a it's a southern cultural designation. Um, not the rich, wealthy uh, aristocracy. Well, the or the slave uh, to how you say that? Oh, somebody made up that term, and I like it, slave to crassity. Uh, anyway, um, you know the anti the antebellum, uh, landowners and what have you. Uh, no, not talking about them. Talking about the poor crackers who were who uh joined to give their lives to keep black folks in chains so uh, apparently facebook got a problem with the word cracker I, i i don't know what they took issue with but i posted nothing but the truth lincoln was a racist he said he didn't think you know if it was up to lincoln people like max wouldn't even exist so you know though i got banned i got put in jail for 24 hours a day But that's one of the reasons we created com, a new online social network for a new online black experience. Max, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on that rant.
1: (laughs) I understand, brother. Uh, I've been lucky. For some reason, I've never been suspended even for a day. And I've been on Facebook now for like eight years. Uh, I don't know why it is. uh, You know, everybody around me tends to get suspended for the most innocent things, it seems like. Maybe i have just been lucky. I don't
0: know. Well, I don't see what I was. I I, I expect to be. I'm let me say this. I'm actually surprised this, this is my first time being suspended. But I ain't complaining about it, you know, because um, you know, I'm only on there as um a propagandist. And I openly admit I'm a propagandist, but I'm not propagandizing you with lies. I'm propagandizing the uh masses with truth. And so, uh, you know, the truth has always been attacked uh, by the great deceivers and what have you, but it's their platform. Just like, you know, I built Black Talk Radio Network, BTRCommunity.com. It's, you know, they built it, it's theirs. And that is why we've been preparing for those type of uh, of things when they want to censor, you know, speech like that. You know, I didn't mean cracker in a racist way, I'm talking about racist crackers. So, whatever i'm not gonna fight with them don't don't go complaining to facebook on my behalf i'll sit in jail for 24 hours and continue to post post content through their networks through my workarounds
1: but what you mentioned about lincoln i shared a video on new abolitionist radio where barack obama sat with students and explained to them how lincoln betrayed all blacks with the emancipation proclamation and as an expert uh on the constitution he should know and he was the president at the time you should check that out um also you know i just want to give a shout out to my wife her and i just celebrated 30 years of uh marriage <laughs> uh just to monday this past month monday 30 years together man we've seen some wonderful events people and done some amazing things throughout our lifetime so uh, yeah
0: congratulations uh, the longest I ever lasted in a relationship was five years, so 30? Man. There's
1: some things you can't teach, man. You don't get 30 years of marriage in a rush. There's no shortcuts. You got to go through the whole 30 years, man. It's not something you can teach. It's just something that God either blesses you with or you don't. But it takes a lot of work, man. It takes a lot of work the last 30 years. Fortunately, we've been in love the entire time, so we've never really had any issues with arguments and problems and jealousies and things like that. So it's been a beautiful road these 30 years, man. 30 years, raised 10 children, got 15 grandchildren. or those kids wasn't even ours, they just needed raising. Got, yeah, 15 grandchildren with a 16th on the way already. At this rate, in about 100 years, we would represent a very big chunk of America. <laughs> got me feeling like Abraham up in here. But anyway, man, well, let's get into our stories. Is Johannan online with us yet? All right. Uh, well, our first story we ended with last week because it was breaking news that just came in. And we've been keeping uh, up to date with this story since it began. It's the story of Annie Duken. And Annie Duken only represents one individual lab technician. Through our own research, we found that at least 14 states in the union provide cash incentives to either the department or the individuals for every positive drug and alcohol report that they provide. So there's an incentive to provide positive drug reports, regardless of whether or not the person is innocent or whatever. And this one woman was doing it for years. And as I said, she represents just one out of 14 states with entire lab uh, department. And Annie Dukin is out of Massachusetts. Uh, as we've told you so far, she was found out, she was tried, she was arrested, she was tried, she was convicted. She spent less than two years in jail or in prison for what she did. She's walking free right now. And we've heard reports that say as many as 60,000 people were wrongly affected by her, uh, her lab findings and submissions. 60,000 people. But here in this article from the Huffington Post, they mentioned about 20,000 convicted drug offenders cases will get thrown out thanks to this rogue chemist. So it's possible there's still a lot of people that are sitting up in jails and prisons or have had their lives destroyed by this woman who will never see their cases come to light. Uh, so I'm praying for you guys. Hopefully someone reaches out, finds a way to help you.
0: And did you, me- you say she only got three years?
1: She was out in less than two years, Scotty. Less than two years. Yeah. She been like 18 months.
0: I wonder what's the combined number of years of her victims. I Maybe mean, in the thousands, over a thousand years, a was, whole damn century.
1: Possibly. You're was, talking you're about, up about as many as 60,000 people and uh, here they got 20,000 of them that, you know, are dealing with uh, prison cases. Uh, so, you know, convictable prison cases. So this is Yeah, that's a lot of time that she's responsible for that was stolen from people's lives. Uh, Let me read some of this HuffPost story. It says, some 20,000 convicted drug offenders in Massachusetts will likely have their cases thrown out because of a rogue state police chemist who brazenly fabricated evidence. What we're told is somewhere between 500 and 1,000 cases, the ones they think are serious, will be kept. Carl Williams, staff attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts, told the Huffington Post. Former chemist Annie Dukin has been falsifying test results and tampering with evidence for nearly 10 years. Wow, dude, like, you've been doing this for a decade. Anyway, when she was fired in 2012 from her job at a Boston lab operated by the Department of Public Health, an investigation that year questioned the validity of her work. And in 2013, she pled guilty to multiple charges, including 17 counts of obstruction of justice and eight counts of tampering with evidence. William said Dukin was involved in roughly 24,000 questionable drug cases involving about 20,000 defendants. The cases were prosecuted in the Bristol Cape and Islands Essex, Middlesex, Norfolk, Plymouth, and Suffolk districts. So if you've had a case that involved drug alcohol in those districts, you should be calling your lawyers. The district attorney's offices have until April 18th to notify the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court which among the cases involving Dukin can be realistically be retried. According to the Boston Globe, prosecutors have yet to comment on how many cases they plan to fight or to pursue. However, Middlesex County Assistant District Attorney Robert J. Bender at a recent meeting with Associate Justice. Margaret Botsford of the State Supreme Judicial Court said the numbers are in line with Williams' account. Without putting numbers on it, it's in the ballpark that the court was looking for. Bender told Botsford on March 16th, according to the Boston Globe, hundreds of cases, not thousands of cases. But I'm not going to read the rest of this story. you see where it's going now. She got found out. They know how many people are involved. And now they're trying to reduce the number of people that they have to address. Because this is a lot of people with potential lawsuits, a lot of money that it could cost the entire system. So it's in their best interest not to set you free, to see you as a person that they don't even want to talk about. who would just screw over and let's forget about it. That's a lot of lawsuits, Scotty.
0: Well, you know, Max, um, now multiply Annie Dukins by 50. I, I, if I was a betting man, I put, I, I would bet you that there are many Annie Dukins cause I can recall one here in North Carolina. He worked in the uh, state crime lab. I uh, believe his name was Dwayne Devers. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, and this guy came out of college with a degree in zoology, and he ended up being the head of the forensic crime lab, and he wasn't just um, he wasn't dealing with drug tests or anything like that. But he would like find catch up. One example they gave was that he um tested something that they the investigators thought was blood in a vehicle in a murder case. And it was catch up. But he falsified the record saying it was blood and he would he would basically just fit his reports, his forensic reports to fit whatever the investigators was looking for, depending on whoever. And and I don't even think he ever was prosecuted or with the jail. I just can't recall right now. I know he's no longer the uh, SBI crime crime lab uh, head anymore. So I'm Andy Dukins is not an anomaly.
1: It's a shame, man, that so many people have been victimized, and now they're trying to be to ignore their their lives. Like, we destroyed your lives because of the potential that you could sue the state. We're not going to really mess around with you. We're going to leave you in the dark and let you go ahead and serve this sentence out, which you never did anything uh, convictable. It's, it's amazing, man. We, you, people wonder why freedom is at the top of the list for us as abolitionists. I mean, if we're not doing it for freedom and peace, then what are we doing it for? You know, you could talk justice reform all day long, but if nobody's getting out of the damn cells, it ain't reform. <laughs> I mean, you're reforming nothing. You're just letting criminals walk away free. This is, I would rank as one of the top two story scandals that really shows you the heart of the corruption going on and shows you a microcosm example in a particular state Of how this is all across America. The other one would be the kids for cash, where for a decade, those rogue judges were literally selling children to a private prison by the name of Merkel. Max,
0: Max, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Annie Dukins and, and we reported in other places as well, the incentives that they have, like they get bonuses or something for coming up with positive results of, you know,
2: yeah.
1: I broke that down. I believe we in the beginning of this story, uh, you know how the incentives are provided by the prisons, mind you, for positive results. It's just—it's amazing, Scotty. This is one of the top two. I say a third would be put it in the top three would be the situation in Mississippi with the entire state prison system being corrupt, and the head of the entire state's prison system, uh, Christopher Epps, facing several hundred years in prison for what he's been doing. He's still turning state's evidence and still pointing out people, and it may reach as far up as the governor for all we know. But we've been keeping an eye on that case as well. Those three are really something you should know about because they really point home to how all of these different parts of the system come together to be modern slavery and trafficking.
0: Max, if I may point out or give a shout out to the Free Alabama Movement, I've been reading that the governor of Alabama has resigned um after a plea agreement in a criminal case where it was involving the theft of funds or the mismanagement of campaign funds that he was directing to this woman that he was having an affair uh with and and both of them being married and and it's just i mean not saying that he shouldn't you know because i've never cheated i've never cheated with another man's wife or anything like that. That's just something since I was a teenager, it was drilled into me. You just don't do that because that man, you know, uh, some would say have a right to kill you. So that's just something. So I'm not trying to minimize the seriousness of that, but he's running a slave, a a, a slave plantation. I mean, one of the worst slave systems in the union. And that would be Alabama. Yeah. And so he hasn't gotten in any trouble or forced to resign over the inhumane treatment of the uh prisoners in Alabama. No. No, it's cause he cheated and that goes against our Christian values, but slavery, you know, slavery's in the Bible. And so, yeah, we we cool with that.
1: Yeah, this is Jeff Sessions running buddy out there uh, as a matter of fact. And we're talking about Alabama. The place that was the last one to stop with convict leasing and only then after 145 men, women, and children had been killed in a cave in who were basically innocent and had been picked up for things like, uh, uh just, you know, sitting around without two dollars in their pocket or being in the wrong town or an after hours in a white town, things like that. They were just basically rounding up blacks as servants and slaves in the mine. And that's when they stopped with, uh, convict leasing, allegedly, at that time. But also, this governor is in the midst of, a, I think it's $800 million negotiation for new prisons in Alabama. Meanwhile, Alabama is at 200% prison population, and the people are being hunted like rabbits over there to fill these damn prisons, where, you know, we've seen, the Free Alabama Movement's exposure across the entire globe now, uh, that this is one of the worst prisons on earth to be in. So uh, there's a new video that came out that features the Free Alabama Movement as well. We talked about it last week coming out from Al Jazeera. Uh, you guys should check it out. I'll share the link as soon as I get a hold of it. But yeah, uh, shout out to the Free Alabama Movement. You guys are leading the way, making things happen. Indeed. Um, Does Johanan get a chance to be with us tonight yet? Okay. Well, in the meantime, what I want to do, Scotty, is I want to uh, play this video from David Coma, And uh, while you get it all set up over there, uh, I'll give a little intro. Uh, David Coma is a South Carolinian, and he's running as the Green Party candidate for Congress in a special election on June 20th, 2017. It's for the South Carolina Congressional District 5. Now, uh, David and I had talked in detail about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Shout out to Greg Jacoy, who sent him my way. He suggested that he should talk to me. He was very interested in what's going on with the new abolitionist movement because it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, it really makes more sense than anything else you're going to hear today. You know, the truth does make sense. And me and him had some, a long conversation and uh, broke down to him what I know as best as I could and also explained to him what we were looking for. And, you know, we have been here at Black Talk Radio Network, and particularly Blue Abolitionist Radio, have been very influential in national politics uh, over these past five years. Everything from senators to uh, premier organizations to congressmen to mayors have been on this program or follow this program and have been adopting a lot of the ideals and perspectives of the slavery abolitionists. And it's had a big impact. On the US in general in the past five years. With that being said, Scotty, is it the video uh, queued up? You might be on mute, brother. All right. Seems like we might have lost Scotty for the moment. Well, in the meantime, uh, I'll continue to tell you a little about uh, what I know, David. And
0: I'm sorry, Max. I'm here. I found it. I was just talking, and I'm. I had myself muted. Uh The listeners could, but those in the conference room couldn't. But I do have the video ready.
1: All right, no doubt. Well, with that being said, uh this is the video from David Comer last September. Prisoners across last September, prisoners across the United States went on strike.
3: Twenty-four thousand prisoners per.
0: I'm sorry, Mitch. I'm having problems with the control. Prisoners do
3: this. Also, what was I'm their stated reason? They demand that we end slavery in the United States. We must end slavery in our prisons and repeal the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. I'm David Kulma, and I approved this message because I wrote, shot, edited, and uploaded it myself for free. It's Saturday, April 8th, 2017. In 1865, the United States adopted the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. This amendment abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, thereby officially freeing the remaining enslaved population which had stood at nearly 4 million before the Civil War. But in 1888, Frederick Douglass, after visiting South Carolina and Georgia, gave a speech in Washington, D.C. on Emancipation Day proclaiming that the Negro is the victim of a cunningly devised swindle one which paralyzes his energies, suppresses his ambition, and blasts all his hopes. And though he is nominally free, he is actually a slave. I here and now denounce his so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud, a fraud upon him, a fraud upon the world. And in 2015, State Representative Joe Neal declared at an NAACP event in front of the South Carolina State House, slavery has not gone away. We criticize China for using prison labor to manufacture goods that are then sold cheaply on the world market. We are doing the same thing in South Carolina. So if we abolished slavery, how is it still happening in our prisons? The answer is in the 13th Amendment itself. It reads, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Did you catch it? We abolished slavery except as a punishment for crime. So we can and do enslave prisoners in this country. We must end slavery in our prisons and repeal the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. If you examine the prison industrial complex, you'll find the many ways in which we criminalize people in this country in order to create more prisoners so that we can profit off of their labor and their bodies. For example, A private prison company has a contract with Arizona guaranteeing that its three prisons in the state will always be 100% full. How do you keep a prison full of people in a time when crime rates are going down? It's easy. Criminalize normal human activity. We criminalize drugs. See the war on drugs. We criminalize school children. See the school to prison pipeline. We criminalize black and brown skin. See the incarceration rates based on race and immigration status. We criminalize being poor. See the Justice Department report on Ferguson. And then once these people are in prison, we bilk them and their families for money. And of course, we force them to work for free or at third world wages. For example, the prisoners who manufacture South Carolina license plates make somewhere between 35 cents and $1.80 an hour for their work. And if prisoners refuse to work, they are punished with beatings, longer sentences, and solitary confinement. This is slavery plain and simple. We must end slavery in our prisons and repeal the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. So how do we atone for these crimes against humanity that I have only begun to describe? First, in Congress, I will call for congressional hearings into the 13th Amendment and how the exception clause has enabled the continuation of slavery. These hearings will discover the full brunt of how our society is built on immoral, disgusting crimes that continue to this day. Second, we need an amendment to the Constitution that repeals appeals this exception clause in the 13th Amendment. This will guarantee that legalized slavery is forever stamped out in the United States. Third, we need to release the unjustly incarcerated. A Brennan Center for Justice study says that we can release nearly 40% of the prison population today because they are behind bars for no compelling public safety reason. Fourth, we need to shut down all private for-profit prisons and immigration detention centers. No one should be profiting on locking other people in cages. This is only a beginning. Our criminal justice system is a sham. From the first moment a person encounters a police officer all the way to a former inmate is treated after release. We need a system that rehabilitates and helps people rather than grossly punishes them. Let's work together to end slavery in our prisons. Head on over to votekulma.org to volunteer, donate, and read about my campaign for Congress here in South Carolina's 5th Congressional District. If you care about all Human beings, share this video with everyone you know. I'm powered by you, not the corporations. Let's turn SC5 green.
1: Well, man, Scotty, you gotta love it, right? Gotta freaking love it, man. This is a
2: congressional
0: Um, Because when you look at the video, he's showing, I'm a big fan of sources of information so that people don't know you just not making up stuff because a lot of politicians just make this stuff up and i'm sure five years ago when we started new abolitionist radio we still i mean even to this day we still have our skeptics but when we can point you to the language in the constitution provide you with ample evidence of the connecting issues i mean i love I, i love i love the fact that this is what the third fourth fifth uh, abolitionist candidate in this modern, uh, era, uh, that we have come across or somehow have some kind of connection to. And so, but what we gotta do is get them elected, you know? Uh, what was the brother name in Indiana, Reverend Jamu? Uh, China we didn't Jammu. get him elected. Uh, what about, uh, the other Green Party candidate, Dmitri Chernoff, I believe was Chernoff. his name out of South Carolina. Yeah, we didn't get him elected. So it's time to stop playing these games, especially those most impacted by modern day slavery and human trafficking. We got to come off that Democratic plantation. We got to come off of that Republican plantation. We should not be uh, voting for people based on partisan politics. We should be voting on issues. And give give us just a second. We do see you. Uh, We should be voting on And what issue is more important and in slavery.
1: So those and are my know, thoughts, Scottie, Electing someone and getting them to run is two different things. We, like you said, have been really grooming a lot of politics in the past, politicians in the past five years and throwing them at the system. And of course, they weren't going to make it, we would think, in the very beginning because this whole concept right now was uh, something that people just couldn't wrap their minds around, but they can now. The time is right now, and it's time for one of these guys to win. And David is the cream of the crop right now. I mean, this brother did not just listen. He went and did the research himself, and then he made up his mind clearly. He did not just, you know, skirt with the surface issues or anything like that. He went into in detail. I even think he went even further than Brother Ojabu did, uh, you know, who was a member, original member of the Black Panther Party. So yeah, my hands up for David. I am going to stump for this man. And you know, as anti-political as I am, to say something like that is like you know hell just froze over. Oh, <laughs> so we got a caller. We got a caller. Call the yeah, go call call state your name, where you're coming from, and your question or comment, please.
4: Hotel brothers, Tony Crane again.
1: Peace, brother Tony. Welcome back All to Webby right. Radio.
4: Peace. Happily, uh back in the Bronx. Um, I, you know, I was, um. I've become a student of history. The thing that popped in my head um, was this. If there were approximately 4 million slaves in America, what do you say, Sirius, 1888, I think you said? uh, 1888,
1: 1865 was 4
4: million. 1860, in the 17th century. Mm -hmm. So how many Americans were there in total? Uh, Approximately. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a Google away. My dad said about ten million. I I'm, I'm, I think that might be about right. So you telling me, that, so that means forty percent of the population was enslaved in the 17th century in the United States of Americas. It's crazy.
1: It was uh twenty seven million two hundred and thirty three thousand. total number of 27, 27, slaves. 3.9. A
4: half million. 3.9 and a half million. That's
1: still a
4: deal of. 27, 27 million So what's what's what four million out of twenty-seven million? Percentage, percentage wise. Uh,
1: Scotty, are you the math man? I don't know, man. Right. Well,
4: it? well, yeah slaves weren't. Count. Well, like, that is a thing. Yes, they didn't even count the slaves.
1: Like ten percent, ten percent. Right.
4: Oh, man, that, that's insane. Um,
1: Actually, more than 10%. More like
4: 11%. So that's a video. I need to share that video. I want to share that video all over Twitter and YouTube and uh, Facebook.
1: Yeah, you should. Um, Everybody uh, listening should share that video. We need to get this man elected. This is, like I said, the brother who understands. He has said in no uncertain terms, he's going to call for congressional hearings. That's one of our... Premier uh, goals on the March on Washington for August 19th in the Millions of Prisoners March on Washington. So he's taking responsibility for that. He's like, if I get elected June 17th, I'm going to call for them personally. And he quoted Frederick Douglass's denouncement of the emancipation. First of all, that uh, ha- speech has been buried in history. Nobody even knows it existed. When we found it through mm. history as a weapon a few years ago, uh, we recorded it, first people to ever record it on video, and we presented it with evidence to show that what he was saying was happening right now, today, like he was a prophet telling us what was going to occur. And if you have never read it, you should. His denouncement in 1888 of the Emancipation Proclamation, and this brother read it, but like, you know, I can't even give people to read it. He read it and then quoted it, so he knows what's going on, and his mind is made up. And that's all we've been asking for. A, consider the argument. B, once you do, make up your damn mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't pussyfoot around and hang around in the middle still trying to play the reformist game when you just decided it was slavery. And he has done that. So kudos to him, man. I'll be supporting. You. Any words on that, brothers? Yeah, that was about it. Thank you very much. Indeed, man. Share the video. Share share the video. Um our next story, I guess, let me pull this up here so I can find it. Um that we want to talk about it, was uh ooh, that video got me going, man. <laughs> Dude is on point. Uh, God, I gotta love it. Shout out to David Coma. We're gonna get you to be a congressman. Then you're gonna remember us. And if you don't keep those promises, we're gonna get all the brothers together and we're gonna visit you. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, the next story is something that should be looked at very closely, and it's a harbinger of what's to come. As we just mentioned, one of our main objectives is to get congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment and the effects that this amendment has had on U.S. societies in the last century and a half, and in particular, what it has done to people of color in this country, because they have been decimated to what can only be described as a genocide. Well, now, with all of that going on, senators are getting together to seek some uh, justice system reform themselves, and they're launching a national nationwide campaign where they're going to examine every aspect of our criminal justice system. And they're calling this the National Criminal Justice Commission. See, all these, this is what I say the stars are aligned. We're asking for congressional hearings for disclosure. We have a group forming now to examine all the aspects. We have all these studies and all this information that is easily available now that has never been known or seen before. So I would say that the S is about to hit the fan and it probably is going to begin on August 19th with the Millions for Prisoners' March on Washington, D.C. If you are not supporting this, and if you're not planning on attending, then you suck, period. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. You suck, period. Um, So here's a story from the uh, Bloomberg and the MP Courier. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators introduced a bill Wednesday to create a National Criminal Justice Commission which would work for 18 months to review every aspect of the nation's criminal justice system, from policing to prosecution to prisons, and then issue a set of proposed reforms for not only federal, but state and tribal systems as well. The legislation aims to accomplish what a similar commission on law enforcement and administration of justice did when it was created by Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965. That group produced more than 200 recommendations which had lasting impact on the justice system, such as calling for the creation of the 911 emergency call system, improving training for law enforcement, and establishing research organizations such as the Bureau of Justice Statistics. This bill is being introduce, introduced by Senators Gary Peterson Peters of Michigan, Lindsey Graham's of uh, South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, wow, John Corn of Texas, and. 17 co-sponsors as diverse as Republican Senators Orrin Hatch and Thad Conrad and Democratic Senators Claire McCaskill and Kamala House. The proposed proposal also has the backing of numerous law enforcement and civil rights groups, such as the Fraternal Order of Police, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the National Urban League, the NAACP, and the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. They have a quote here that says, too many Americans see growing challenges in our justice system, Peter said in a news release, ranging from overburdened courts and unsustainable incarceration costs to strained relationships between law enforcement and the communities they serve. He said he hoped the new commission would help reduce crime, improve public safety, and promote more equitable criminal justice practices. Both the Fraternal Order of Police and the International Association of Chiefs of Police have been calling for such a commission for years. The goal here, said Chuck Canterbury, the FOP president, is to improve not only policing in the U.S., but all our nation's criminal justice system as a whole. Now, there's a lot to this story, and I don't want to read it all to you here on New Abolitionist Radio. You got about 40% of it there just now. You can read the rest of it. I just want to talk with Scotty, if possible, and anybody else that wants to join the conversation About some of the underlying uh, involvements here, the people that are involved in this, uh, whether or not we can see this as something that's going to help us. If yes, then how? Or is it a whitewash where a bunch of people who have committed crimes against humanity have decided to come together and to find out where they should point fingers at other than themselves? And in the long run, even if they find that these are crimes against humanity, they in no way, shape, or form plan to hold anybody responsible. What do you think, Scotty?
0: Well, as I was looking over the article myself, I have the same exact um, issues with the people who are involved. Lindsey Graham, uh, who else on there? John, is John McCain on there? I mean, these, well uh, be. what's that?
1: Say, so he might as well be. Considering yeah. the other names around there.
0: Yeah, and then it's a bipartisan effort, and I wonder who's sponsoring this. I wonder. Look, uh, you got the Fraternal Order of Police and International Association of Chiefs of Police. See, this is, seems like a Lincoln move, and the reason, um, you know, Frederick Douglass denounced the Emancipation Proclamation, which we were just talking about earlier, and recognizing it as a stupendous fraud. Now we will have to to in, to be uh fair and objective of journalists and researcher, I have to see the bill itself before I make a, a you know, an indictment on it or recommendation on, is it worth uh, putting any energy behind or not? So my concerns are the same as yours. Again, fraternal order of police international association, the chiefs of police, they're not going to do anything that they see would be a result of loss of overtime pay loss or reduction of 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 uh dues, uh union paying due members i mean excuse me uh union members who pay dues you know they don't want to see a downsizing of the police force so again this is your concerns are the same as mine about the, uh characters who are involved i mean I, it's some of these names they've been in there i know since the 1990s and and some even longer And, you know, we could check their records and see they've been in full support of the drug war. And ever since Attorney General Jeff Sessions has talked about bringing it back in those terms, bringing it back, ramping it up in, in the statements that he's been making, I haven't heard any of these people in the public take him to task. Actually, I've seen none of these people even talking about it in the news media, period.
1: This has the potential to do what they say they wanted to do. But here's the problem. Effectively, what they're doing is getting a bunch of people who are the problem together, trying to decide what the problem is and how they should solve the problem when they are the freaking problem. Amen.
0: A quick thought. Um. Again, you can research this. This smacks of the Confederates being invited to write the Thirteenth Amendment after the conclusion of the Civil War. No different.
1: Well, I would say this is just the Confederates doing it. <laughs> like this is that's it. Everybody involved in here is the freaking problem. You got people like Kamala Harris who's talking about you know we can't stop this slave labor, fight forest fires with juveniles and. Prisoners 4,000 Strong, because it'll cost us a billion dollars. People like that, with that type of mentality, have all gotten together to decide what they're going to do about what they think the problem is. So shout out to my man, Muhadine D. Baha Charleston from Black Lives Matter. I remember when he was saying recently, you can't represent people or try to solve a problem when you don't allow them a voice in the conversation. Where's the prisoners' organizations in this conversation? Why are they not a part of this? Where's the Prisoners' Families Organizations? Where's the IWOC? Where Where's the International Workers' Union in this conversation? None of those people are at the table. So this is just slavers sitting around going, how do we make slavery seem less of a problem? Remember, the last time they did this was during the Obama administration. And their findings were, hey, what we plan to do is release 60,000 people over the next 10 years And then we crunched the numbers on New Abolitionist Radio. and was like, damn, y'all, you will have replaced those 60,000 people in a couple of days. So like, that's no gain at all. You're just making it sound good. 60,000 people, 10 years, they're going to have freedom. And, you know, kudos to the 60,000 people. But you're putting more people than that in prisons on a regular basis. There's almost three quarters of a million going through prisons every single year. So if you're releasing 60,000, but you don't stop the process of incarceration, then that's just a speed bump along the way with some people getting their freedom. I see that here. It's very uh, one-sided argument, which means that I have a one-sided goal.
0: Max, we do have Johanna joining us.
1: Oh, what's up, brother? Johanna, you're just in time, man. I was hoping to be able to get your input on this particular letter. And also, shout out to Otis Griffin, who reminded us about this, because we meant to talk about this thing before, but never had the opportunity.
5: Peace, peace. Good to be here, brothers. Sorry I'm getting in on just what seemed like the second hour only this week, but uh, it's good to be here all the same. We all made it through the week with all the trials and whatnot to get back, so definitely good to be here. I didn't really catch enough of the story. I just signed on to to really be able to comment on it i hear what you're saying as far as the numbers of people that's being let out and kind of the farce that that turns out to be when you when we know that the uh the number of those going right back in is is so much higher and that's something we've covered with you know all of the obama uh vac- uh sentences vacated and, and truncated and the differences that he made in in sentencing and people going home and all these different things we talked about that over the last several years that at the same time he was getting the press for letting people out, he was using Eric Holder and the Justice Department to turn around and prosecute and uh, make sure that people served the entire sentences. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not at all surprised, just continue to be disappointed by, you know, the symbolism that people eat up as reality and the reality that people ignore is is, irre- is uh, irrelevant. It's, it's going nowhere.
1: Going nowhere, man. Um. You know, if you got a bunch of rich people together at a conference, and their conversation was how do we help the poor, and in that building there was not a poor face to be found, that would be a problem, right? Because like you're not really representing the people you're talking about. And that's why I see us here with this uh, justice reform system, where you got the police, uh, fraternity, fraternal order of police, and commissioners prosecutors all coming together to talk about how they're going to fix things that they're doing wrong <laughs> right, right, you know? right
0: i don't see neil franklin uh who represents law enforcement against prohibition a coalition of retired uh former slave catchers just trying to keep it real guys you know, uh, hey I, you should be offended uh but neil franklin admitted that he Uh, fell for it, and that he did harm to his own community. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what was the gist. You could see the YouTube video as he was at a conference, thinking Philly or Baltimore, but I would want him in that room. Neil Franklin, again, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, a bunch of retired judges, former guards, defense attorneys, prosecutors, all who have been talking about ending the drug war. Um, again, these sort of groups uh, that, that and you some of them are 501c3s like LEAP is, um, they're not getting invited. They're not getting invited. They're not in the room. They weren't in that room with Jeff Sessions and all of the state attorney generals where he talked about ramping up the drug war and, and not going soft on people and, and and saying how he didn't believe that cannabis had any medicinal uses. So you're right. Hey, hey, if you're having a poverty, uh, conference or a confab, then where are the, those who represent the, uh, poor, the homeless? Where are their advocates? So, yeah.
1: I think this is a whitewash, Scotty. I think that they see the writing on the wall. They see that the future holds our own version here in the United States of Nuremberg trials, where we start holding people accountable for their crimes against humanity. And they're trying to misdirect, cover up, or whitewash their own crimes. There's a story that just came out recently, as a matter of fact, and we won't be able to get into the details of it, but we have posted on New Abolitionist Radio titled, How We Misunderstand Mass Incarceration. It's long and it's insightful. And in there, they literally point to prosecutors as a premier example of the biggest problem in the United States where these uh, this group of people, the prosecutor, prosecutorial pool, which represents is represented through a 95% white prosecutorial pool and 83% white men who have completely demolished the Sixth Amendment and have come to the point now where 95% of all cases end in a plea bargain, which demolishes the Sixth Amendment. And they're one of the driving forces behind mass incarceration. They lack apathy. Uh, They're just doing it now for career advancement. So they can say, I've got a 98% or 100% conviction rate. They don't care about human beings, the law, justice, or anything like that at all. Their only purpose is to be this huge assembly line cog ushering people into this prison system. And if people ever started calling for their rights of a trial, it would break the whole damn system down. So check that out on New Abolitionist Radio. And, you know, I had a conversation, too, this time last, last year on, uh, with Janice Graham's show, uh, Our, Our Common Ground. And I talked there with Matthew Fogg, who was the former chief, Get uh, forget what his title was, but uh, let me write it, see it right here. Matthew Fogg is the former chief deputy U.S. marshal and special agent whistleblower and him and i and janice had a conversation and he came out and told the truth he was like yo one day i woke up and felt like a slave catcher like that's what i was doing and he started telling the stories publicly on what they were demanding of him as a slave catcher and with one conversation that brother became an abolitionist because all the pieces fit together He's in the heart of it. He knows what's going on. And all we had to had to do was come on and point out a few things by asking questions. And before the, the end of that, he was an abolitionist and running for mayor in Maryland.
0: He was one of the uh, my first, what I would consider, prominent guests. When I first got into broadcasting nine years ago, Matthew Fogg, when I first launched on Blog Talk Radio, That's how I became introduced to Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, like Johanna pointed out, that Matthew Fogg is a member.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, so shout out to Matthew Fogg. We need more men like him out there willing to tell the truth. We've heard it so many times. The people just don't get it. The officers, the people themselves who do it every day are telling you what they're doing. But their voices won't be included in those recommendations, I'm sure. Well. Today we have a new segment that we're going to start out in about 10 to 15 minutes or so, too. Looking forward to that. I think the time is right for people to start remembering their past in a way. Uh, but there was a video that I wanted to finally, since we've got a few minutes extra time, I wanted to give people a chance to hear these words. But Before we do that, we're going to take a break. And uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network with Max Parthas, Johanna, Alaya, and Sky. Be
2: right back after these now I'm not a writer. Okay. Black
0: Talk Radio since two thousand and eight, providing new black media for the
2: masses.
1: Uh, hey, so welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Here we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking, which all stems from the 13th Amendment Exception Clause to the U.S. Constitution. We were just talking about how they're making a team to come together to make recommendations for change and examining all aspects of the criminal justice system. Well, let me give you an example of the people who are involved in this examination process. Uh, we mentioned in there that it was the National Order of Chiefs of Police. Well, we've got a message from a Chief of Police aimed at you. And, uh, we'll give our commentary after we play the video. Scotty, the video is on New Abolitionist Radio as well as in our planning, uh, session. It's only about a minute or so long, but I want to hear people to hear this with their own ears and if possible, see it with your own eyes. Uh, So if you could just pull that up and uh, cue it up to start, I'd appreciate it. Just uh, for those just tuning in, this is going to be a message from the Lake County Sheriff's Office, Community Engagement Unit. And if you're only listening to it, the imagery uh, you'll see uh, you're missing is with these four gentlemen standing next to the chief of police, dressed up like they're in ISIS face masks and sunglasses and full metal gear, the, you know, big stars on their chest and the, uh, guns at their hips. And the, they just look like terrorists to me. And they sound like terrorists, too. Scott, you got it ready?
6: I'm Lake County Sheriff Peyton Grinnell. Over the last month or so, I've had several phone calls from citizens in this county concerned about the number of overdoses related to heroin. I want our citizens to know that I'm aware of this serious issue. I am asking our residents to please call and let us know if you know of a location that this poison is being pushed out to our streets. You can remain anonymous. To the dealers, that are pushing this poison, I have a message for you. We're coming for you. As a matter of fact, our undercover agents have already bought heroin for many of you. We are simply awaiting the arrest warrants to be finalized. So, to the dealers I say, enjoy looking over your shoulder, constantly wondering if today's the day we come for you. Enjoy trying to sleep tonight, wondering if tonight's the night Our SWAT team blows your front door off the hinges. We are coming for you. If our agents can show the nexus between you, the pusher of poison, and the person that overdoses and dies, we will charge you with murder. We are coming for you. Run.
1: You heard it right there with your own ears. ISIS Dressed up like ISIS, at least. Chief police telling you how they're going to come and murder, death, kill you, break down your doors, and if they can find a connection, your oh. ass belongs to them. Uh, uh, you yes? did not say
0: break down. Let's be accurate. He said blow off.
1: Blow off, like they did Corinne Gaines. That type of blow off, like they did with Ayanna Stanley Jones's family. That kind of blow off. If you have not, you really should see one of the trilogy of films that connects us all together. It's called Do Not Resist. It shows you exactly what they do with these SWAT teams and their so-called agents finding the information connecting you. You could end up dead and never have done anything. Sometimes they just do it for the cash. And, you know, what really struck me as profound, Scotty, is the words that they were using about the drug dealers that they would never dare say to Big Pharma. Big Pharma is just as guilty as anybody else. You know, here's a story from Castle Medical, and I'm just gonna read this little quote. It says, tragically, Oxycontin abuse does not does a lot more than land people in a hospital or in jail. It doesn't take much time to overdose on Oxycontin, and without immediate attention, it can lead to death. Of the 15,000 American deaths caused by prescription painkillers each year, a number higher than the deaths caused by illegal substances. Approximately 1,000 are attributed to Oxycontin. So you got these legal substances causing far more deaths than the illegal ones. But these punk BIs are standing there telling you about how they're going to break in this citizen's house if they just find a slight connection and then treat you like murder, death, kill victims. where. You could get shot in the face from six years old and up. No, no.
0: Man. Crazy, man. Um, you meant, you mentioned the doctors, but what about the CIA? See, and and then when you say something like that, people automatically try to um uh uh make you look like you're wearing a tinfoil hat or somewhere. When all the documentation, the historical documentation, the admissions by Congress after certain hearings, like COINTELPRO. I'm, uh, I mean, what about the CIA? We all know about Gary Webb's work or should know about Gary Webb's work. And we know Rick, Freeway Ricky Ross, the real one, not the former uh, plantation uh, guard, uh, the fake rapper, uh, but the real Freeway Ricky Ross told you where he was getting his dope from, from his connects through the CIA for all this cheap cocaine. And uh, where do you think this heroin is coming from? It's coming straight from the fields of Afghanistan, where it Fox News has it on record. And, 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 you know, are over there with a video camera showing U.S. troops guarding the field and a captain in the army telling you that's U.S. policy there. That's the U.S. or, or the military's policy there is to let these uh, farmers grow these poppy fields because that's the only way they can make money. Well, guess what? That's the only way some people in the United States can make money. Let's just keep it real. It's by selling drugs when they can't get jobs. People go into survival mode. It's not a question of morality. It's a question of reality. You know, so so uh throw the CIA in there. Is Are they going to be fighting each other? You know, I know the CIA and the Pentagon train they troop their different, uh, proxies in Syria. And, and at one time they were fighting each other and they had to work that out. Uh, uh, but you know, are, are we going to see that kind of, of war here in the United States? I mean, all of this stuff is documented. I don't expect everybody to know it cause everybody doesn't subscribe and follow the news like I do, but I, I tell you, man, it's all a hypocrisy. And I know he's not considering uh, those sources. So I'm not trying to hear it. First of all, I feel like I I, I think this is sort of like the pro-choice argument over abortion. My body, my decision. If I'm an adult, then that's between me, you know, how come I can't get no cannabis prescribed from my doctor? Well, of course, in many states, that's now become reality. But Jeff Sessions, again, talking about even rolling that back in. You know, we haven't heard of any raids in those states that have legalized yet, but it could be coming down the pipe. Johanna? I mean,
5: it's, I don't know, it's difficult not to start... Dropping curse words, man, honestly, because it's just the propaganda of it, the intimidation tactics, and it has nothing to do with with what the actual policy is, number one. So to bring up the opi- opioid uh, addictions and, and speak on the heroin situation specifically, I mean, they know that they're not talking about the white middle class, white lower middle class, white poor, white rich they're not talking about those people. They're basically doing a, a, sh- a standoff, a show-off in Ninja Gear, trying to intimidate the same people that they've been terrorizing and hyper-policing and rounding up and wrangling and killing in the street, beating, raping, stealing from. I mean, we just talked about the uh, civil asset forfeiture that's brought in over $4 billion, and uh, out of that, $3.2 billion of it, had nothing to do with any person even being able to be charged for a crime. So when I see, you know, this basically looks to me like a KKK uh, commercial where instead of wearing white hoods and white robes, they just put on their other outfits and put on black ski mask and, and black goggles and black SWAT outfits and big gold stars on their chest, which is the exact same gold star that their great grandfathers wore when they were slave catching. So, I mean, the revenue agents, the tax, the tax collectors, the highway robbers, the slave catchers, this is this is all I see. I don't see anything that says to me, This is the they want to tell you when they get caught doing some wrong, when they kill somebody, when they kill a child, a Niana Jones, when they kill a ninety-two-year-old a grandmother, a pearly golden, kick in the front door, go in and shoot the old lady sitting in the recliner and say, Oh, we served a warrant at the wrong house you know and then the taxpayers pay a million two million four to to buy it off to buy the piece then they say we're going to do more training we're going to do more sensitivity training more community interaction we're going to engage the people instead of always being seen as the adversary we're going to work with these communities and blah, blah 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 but this is the shit you see them do of their own free will and so that was under the last eight years under a, a as we just talked about in the last story, uh, a perceived as friendly, as progressive, as liberal. He's a black guy. Obama administration with black minions at his, at his disposal, like an Eric Holder, to help him through the Fast and Furious scandal where you got the deal that the DEA had with the Sinaloa cartel getting caught up in bringing drugs and guns into the country. That got swept under the rug, basically, under a black president. So this is the way that they showing you what they'll do under the Trump administration. Hey, we can put back on our, our, uh, knock what they call a jump out boys gear and threaten you to, uh, how's it going to feel when you're waiting at night for us to knock in your door. So then you'd be like the brother where they knocked in his door and he shot him dead. And then they uh took him and tried him for murder because he was an innocent man and they just kicked in the wrong door and the hell he defended himself and shot one of them dead. That shit wasn't so cute and so cool. Then was it when they getting shot out people's front door, then they mad. So the whole thing to me is out of control, totally irresponsible. And if this is the kind of stance that they want to take against the citizens that they keep saying they want to protect and serve and they want to engage and they want to work with, and they want to be a part of the community. And this is what they bring to the table. Then don't be pissed off when you get citizens to come out and pop off and
1: start kicking your ass. Cause this is what you're telling them to expect. Yeah. And you know, goes back again to that slave-catcher mentality. All you, all you see is nails and you're a hammer. So let's go kill everything. That's how we solve the drug problem. That's how we deal with addiction. We just go break down people's doors and shoot people up and put everybody's lives in danger. And all we need is a little shred of evidence. It's that, I mean, if you weren't hunting human beings, for doing with their body what they wanted to do with it, you wouldn't have this freaking problem, would you? But it's okay for the big farmer to do it. That's perfectly fine. The corporate zex can sit up there in the high rises and profit on suffering that exceeds that which you have decided to go murder, death, kill about. Exceeds it. But they can do it unmolested. That's not the problem. The problem is the guy over there who has no job, no education, no chance for a future and has been, uh, pushed into a position where he has nothing left to lose but his freedom and is putting it at risk to make some money on something that exists with or without him.
0: Max, I just, uh, and Johanna, I just had a quick thought. We might need to run those numbers when they say a high number and we know they talking about white people because we've been seeing in the media white people who they're all D laying in the van and I mean showing their dead bodies no dignity at all I wonder if their family signed off on having, I mean, you know, what if the kids grow up and come across that photo? You know, that's, I, I just really thought about that, but then we had to check the numbers cause the media can make it seem like it's a, a lot of people, you know, dying or, or whatever. And then that may not be the case. Cause I'm a member of tricky Dickie, uh, Richard Nixon. And that's the same argument where he was saying that people was dying of heroin. When in fact more people was dying, falling downstairs stairs and accidents, household accidents. Then we're, we're overdosing, but he used that as the selling point to start the drug war. Check the record, people. Check the facts.
1: Yeah, you're on point with it, Scotty Reed. You're on point with it. See, once you become an abolitionist, you start looking at all of this stuff, in the whole light, and it really stands out much more clear for you than it did before when you were a reformist who just thought, you know, something's wrong. And I don't really know what it is, so everybody's talking about reform. Yeah, I got to be a reformist. Yeah, you see it in a whole different way. See, in your mind, when you stop thinking this is okay and you start seeing it as a crime against humanity to which people need to be prosecuted for and to which people need to be freed about, that's a whole different viewpoint. And you can't even apply the same arguments that you used as a reformist as a abolitionist. It's a whole different
2: perspective,
1: but we're coming up on a quarter after mark, and we got this new segment. Scotty, we really should get into it, man. I've been looking forward to this. As I said, uh, you know, we document history. We were a major factor in the change of perspective in regards to who led the abolitionist movement. Uh, With us, we have shown Hundreds of black actors involved in their own freedom and leading the way at every angle. Whereas those uh, white counterparts, although involved, were usually uh, involved, but not the leaders of the movement. So the abolitionist movement, contrary to popular beliefs, was a black-led movement. And we proved it right here on New Abolitionist Radio. Well, here's our newest one. And this is called, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion. And we're going to start it with the Stono Rebellion. Shall I, Scotty? I'll take that as a yes. All right.
0: I'm sorry, Max. I'm, again, still having audio issues, and I'm actually passing audio from two different computers. So without getting into all of what I'm dealing with, um, what are you asking me? Do we need an audio file to play?
1: Uh, well, if you want one, that would be nice. Uh, I was asking if I should begin this new segment now, or unless you want oh, to yeah, add something else.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, if you have an audio file and you want to play it, I mean, this is something brand new, and it is the anniversary of the Civil War. It began I'll today. See if I find,
0: I, I'll see if while well, you start and I'll see if I can find a short clip
1: on YouTube. All right, sounds good, brother. All right, new segment from New Abolitionist Radio for Freedom's Sake A History of Rebellion. Stono Rebellion, 1739. The Stono Rebellion was the largest slave revolt ever staged in the 13 colonies. On Sunday, September 9th, 1739, a day free of labor with about 20 slaves under the leadership of a man named Jemmy provided whites with a painful lesson on the African desire for liberty. Many members of the group were seasoned soldiers, either from the Yamasee War or from their experience in their homes in Angola where they were captured and sold and had been trained in the use of weapons. They gathered at the Stono River and raided a warehouse-like store, Hutchinson's, executing the white owners and placing their victims' heads on the store's front steps for all to see. They moved on to other houses in the area, killing the occupants and burning the structures, marching through the colony towards St. Augustine, Florida, where under Spanish law they would be free. As the march proceeded, not all slaves joined the insurrection. In fact, some hung back and actually helped hide their masters. But many were drawn to it, and the insurrectionists soon numbered around 100. They paraded down King's Highway, according to sources, carrying banners and shouting, Liberty, Lukongo in their native Kigongo, a word that would have expressed the English ideals embodied in liberty and perhaps salvation. The slaves fought oh, is for more than a week before the colonists rallied and killed most of the rebels, although some very likely reached Fort Mosey. Even after colonial forces crushed the Stono Uprisings, outbreaks occurred, including the very next year when South Carolina executed at least 50 additional rebel slaves. After the Stono Rebellion, rebellion South Carolina authorities moved to reduce provocations for rebellion. Masters, for example, were penalized for imposing excessive work or brutal punishments of slaves. And a school was started so that slaves could learn Christian doctrine. In a colony that already had more blacks than whites, the assembly also imposed a prohibitive duty on the importation of new slaves from Africa and the West Indies. Authorities also tightened control over the enslaved. The assembly enacted a new law requiring a ratio of one white for every 10 blacks on any plantation, and passed the Negro Act of 1740, which prohibited enslaved people from growing their food, assembling in groups, earning money they, rather than their owners, could return, or learning to read. And here at New Abolitionist Radio, we remember the Stoner Rebellion.
7: A slave. A slave, especially under these circumstances, wants to survive, wants to be free. And it also doesn't take much imagination to understand the anger of being enslaved, of being held against your will, seeing your loved ones subjected to treatment that no human beings ought to experience.
8: The first time... Your punishment was whipping if you ran away a second time there would be an r branded on your right cheek the third time one of your ears would be severed and another r would be burned onto your left cheek for runaway and if you ran away a fourth time if you were a man the punishment was castration
9: Oh. Oh. Gruesome punishments that had been familiar in England were exaggerated in the slave society. The planter had to calculate that I can punish this person even if they die, I can import new people from West Africa, and I'm making so much money in this process that I can afford to do it.
10: The inhumane treatment says a lot. That indeed, they're resisting their enslavement. That like any other human being whose rights and and opportunities are being taken away, that they're going to resist and fight back.
9: Burning down barns was something that occurred regularly and increased during harvest time when the workload was heaviest. Poisoning could not be caught readily, and it was often something that was feared by whites even when it didn't exist. One
8: symptom of their fear was that there was a law that white men had to carry guns when they went to church. Sunday was the only day off for enslaved people. And so people, the white folks, feared that the uprising, if it ever came, would happen on Sunday when all the whites were gathered in church. Therefore, the white men were required to carry their guns
9: to church. It was on a Saturday night, September 1739. It was a work crew. Many of them are Angolans, including a man named Jemmy, who becomes the leader. <laughs>
8: The fate of Sunday finally came on the Stono River southwest of Charleston, and they got to a store and broke in and they killed a Mr. Hutchinson, decapitated him and put his head on a pole and cleared out his store of guns.
9: It happens in harvest time, which is the time when blacks are being worked the hardest. It also happens in malaria time. And there is an epidemic going on in Charleston, which has virtually shut down the
3: town. They must have realized that they couldn't possibly take over the area and drive out the, the Europeans, but they did recognize the possibility that if they took common action as soldiers, they might be able to escape.
10: The governor of Florida had already issued a decree that any African who was a slave who made it to Florida would be free, and there was indeed a colony there of ex-slaves. There is this
7: African manned fortification, and when the Stono Rebellion breaks out, it becomes clear that what these people are trying to do is to reach Fort Mose.
9: People begin to join them. They burn successive plantations, kill some of the white people living there. Uh, draw some of the blacks with them. Others are afraid to join in and refuse to go. But unfortunately for them, they meet the lieutenant governor riding north.
10: They gave chase to him, but he was able to sound the alarm. And then, of course, a sort of a, a posse is formed, and they set out after this group of Africans.
9: It's an amazing moment. If they had been able to take him hostage, who knows what the dynamics would have been. These people are pursued south for a day or two. If they had been able to go another 24 or 48 hours so that more people could have joined them, their strength would have been greater. And who knows what the prospects would have been.
8: And the whites came on them. They surrounded these men and they fired on them.
10: A lot of them were scattered. Many of them were killed. Some of them escaped into the swamp. But those that they did capture, they chopped their heads off and put their heads on poles leading out down uh, what is today U.S. 17 out of Charleston to send a message to the other Africans. This is what will happen to you. Uh, If you rebel.
8: After the Stono Rebellion, all of the separate laws governing slavery were consolidated into a single code. This black code restricted the movement of black people and regulated almost every aspect of the lives of the enslaved.
9: The crushing of the Stono Rebellion was a tragedy. To me, these people were freedom fighters. Someone like Jimmy, newly arrived from Angola, is able to show others around him that this is not the only way to live. This can change this time, but it will change in the future.
7: Under the most inhumane conditions that you can possibly imagine, people were able to maintain their human dignity. It gives you some insight into the resilience of the human spirit, that it is possible for human beings to make the decision, I will not be defeated.
10: When slavery and the making of America continues after the.
1: All right. there All right. you. Go. Uh, Yo, salute the Stono Rebellion. I, I think my, my version was better than theirs. So. <laughs> but no doubt, man, that's the launch of our new segment. Um, Stono Rebellion began what we know as the Black Codes. And what we know as the Black Codes have been repeated in the 2017's era where we see it with the stop and frisk and uh, the profile. Yeah,
0: I was about to say that black codes uh different periods because some people call the Jim Crow laws black codes. Uh, but I, my research shows the first black codes was in the 1600s in the Virginia colony, which also restricted the rights of, of black people, free black people whose history uh, they love to hide. And But, you know, going to the Stonehenge Rebellion, as they said, stated, they were trying to reach um, those uh, Seminoles because there was an alliance. Look, up, I think his name is John Horse, who was a African, and how they, um, excuse me, were um, adopted into these Indian tribes. And they took on that way of life. Well, really, they were forced to live in the swamps. But, man, how they battled Andrew Jackson. You know, to a standstill. Andrew Jackson, that's another reason why they love him. You know, cause he, cause, um, he even disobeyed orders to pursue people, um, later. They did the same thing and had, uh, went to Florida. So, I mean, it's important to study history and to know history, but if they were just able to organize a little bit better, or like they said, had just been able to catch that lieutenant governor. Who knows, man? And then picked up, and then when you hear the numbers, like how they outnumbered the colonists back then, you know, I was like, wow. Fear is very powerful too. Fear and propaganda is very powerful too. Where if every victim of slavery back then and their allies had all just said, you know what, um, we drawn this land, this uh, line in the land, and if slavery ends today by any means necessary wow you know it could the history could have turned out different but we study history uh to find out where things went wrong so we can plan for the future
1: indeed brother indeed uh we're students of history here we try to uh help you to understand history as well Uh, the listener to understand the history of what we've been through results and all the stuff we've had to endure. And for those that are interested, the slave codes in their entirety are hosted on New Abolitionist Radio, uh, what was called the Negro Act of 1740. Well, we're coming up on our next segment, and uh, hopefully I can get Johanan to do it for us tonight. Uh, I know he doesn't pre- prefer this particular segment, and I understand why. I think we all do, but it is one that needs to be told. that is both empowering and victorious uh, to a certain degree. We understand that these are people who have gained freedom, who have been railroaded into our prison systems, spending anything from a few years to 40-some-odd years of their lives behind bars, innocent the entire time. So uh, we have our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week, who is Roosevelt Glenn, and he was convicted for 89 rape cases which he has been exonerated for after serving 16 years in prison. Your Honor?
5: I was going to say I have, my, have myself muted. Yeah, I don't mind doing the segments. I mean, it's just, we all know what it is. The, the bull that creates these situations. And I think just as frustrated with the system and uh, you know, the, 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 literally just that, the system. It's a system. It's not one-off situations. It's not randoms or outliers or just this strange anomaly that occurred. I mean, it's the system. So even if we're looking at a situation where we uh, we know that we've got 2.3 million incarcerated, um if you just allow for an error factor of what? 2%, 3% you know, we're we're talking about, I mean, a ridiculous number of people. That I just see too much apathy. I just see too much going on elsewise in the community, and when I hear people, you know, want to focus on African philosophy, and we want to talk about the great teachers and our our linear thinking inspired by european dogma and paradigm of the duality of the all this shit up in the moon star skies and purple shoes horseshoes and whatever the hell but you cannot get people to engage over this type of a situation so that's really what be my frustration i mean the stories are, are pissed me off of course and it is what it is and i'm just glad for these people that they get out and we could talk about it and all of that but i'm just trying to figure out why black folks like to to travel the the stars and talk about all this theory of the philosophy of the ancient comedicisms of the man you could get snatched today and it'd be nothing we can do to help you no more than we could help these people just finally getting out and it seems like it don't matter until it is you so that's what really be my frustration for anybody that it always wonder why does Johanna flip out on this <laughs> on these segments but we got another brother that made it out through the Underground Railroad man exonerated based on DNA mixture after serving 16 years and this is an interesting timing for this particular story because the new Attorney General Jeff Sessions just uh just came out and said this last week that he was going to put an end to uh forensic investigation uh, the investigation into the forensic investigation wing of the doj in federal investigations overall and you know we just uh, found out over the last couple of years how many uh they had to cancel out the hair uh hair investigations because that was all fouled up and people lying on the stand as so-called experts and so i mean we talked about the annie dukin situation i mean all of this shows how much corruption and and incompetence is in the system just built into the system and throwing people in prisons and so this brother got out behind DNA, which if Sessions has his way, could very well be a thing of the past soon. So uh, two men served decades behind bars for a brutal 1989 gang rape had both been released and exonerated based on complex DNA mixture interpretation. The rape charging conviction of Roosevelt Glenn, which had kept him, for prison, kept him in prison for 16 years, was tossed out last week by an Indiana Superior Court judge. The court finds that newly discovered evidence exists which entitles roosevelt glenn to a new trial the court finds the state is unable to retry roosevelt glenn ruled honorable t edward page on january 30th the court concludes that the criminal charges against glenn should be dismissed glenn was convicted of a class a rape felony in 1993 and sentenced to 35 years in prison he was released in 2009 after court testimony determined that one of the semen stains presented as evidence at trial potentially include the profile of all caucasians by blood type Lynn and co-defendant Daryl Pinkins had been convicted of the brutal gang rape partly on their ha- on hair evidence and since disproven serology methods. The rape occurred when a group of assailants bumped a woman's car at a red light and then assaulted her repeatedly once she got out of her vehicle December 7, 1989. The victim's clothes had a mixture of DNA and the attackers left behind a pair of work coveralls. Those work coveralls had been reported stolen from Pinkins' co-worker's car the night before the rape. The first trial for Pinkins and Glenn ended in a mistrial in 1990 based on DNA evidence that excluded them as contributors to the mixture. Serology at the second trial, including blood types and other biomarkers, led to their conviction, said Greg Hampikian, a professor of biology and criminal justice at Boise State University in an interview last year with Forensic Magazine. Pinkins, who was sentenced to 65 years in prison, and Glenn made maintain their innocence behind bars. Professor Francis Watson at the Indiana University McKinney, uh, McKinney Law School Wrongful Conviction Clinic started investigating the case and conviction in 1999, and Hepikian joined the effort in 2006. Probabilistic genotyping and the newest method of DNA mixture analysis made the breakthrough in the case, Hepikian said. True allele, a big data analysis of complex mis- mixed meshes of genetic material, was consulted in 2014. The software made by the Pittsburgh-based CyberGenetics resulted in five unidentified genotypes, none of which matched the three defendants who had initially been arrested for the gang rape. It was tragic that failed DNA methods ignored the evidence, inflicting so much needless suffering on these men and their families for so many years, said Mark Perlin, the creator of True Allele. So much more can be done with DNA to find the truth. Pickers was re- released in uh, April 25th, 2016. No other arrests have been made in the in the 1989 rape. It's a horror story that these men were convicted in the first place, and Pickian said. The DNA test ordered by the state in 1990 should have ended it before there was a trial. These men were excluded by science from the very beginning. And I might just add that whoever actually did it has still been on the streets as far as we know. So salute to this brother for making it, making his way back out. Uh, that's a long road. 16 years he served as a wrong man and then to also to his friend. So Roosevelt Glenn uh, is out now and then also is uh, his partner who also served. Uh, he was let out in 2016. So welcome back to the world. Salute.
1: Welcome to freedom, brother. Welcome to freedom. Whew. Man. Yeah, man. These stories are necessary. People need to know. They need to know they what just what's happening in these courts. The 5% you do get a trial is a railroad, usually. Uh, yeah. what did Brian Stevenson said, and I hate to misquote him, but basically said they, t- they treat you better if you're guilty and rich than if you're innocent and poor.
0: I would like to um, just make a request to our listening audience. If you know how to put alerts out, like for the type of news or um items or topics that you are interested in and want to get notification but do one for jury nullification which are in this country has its roots again on the underground railroad where people were refusing to convict people on the under on the, on the uh, charges related to the fugitive slave act okay but yet um, even though it's 5% like Max said that when they go to trial we still have people voting them guilty so again you know we got a lot of work to do in educating people on how to use jury nullification don't try to get out the jury pool try to get in the jury pool and then if you may be the lone abolitionist in that jury box and when they come up for a non-violent victimless crime which can cover drugs and what they call the sex industry. Again, if we're going to talk about pro-choice and people can have abortions because it's their bodies and it's between them and their doctors. Well, again, I don't mean to sound facetious, but it should be between these people it, up to them what they put into the, their bodies. So, it's, again, it's not a question of morality, it's a question of reality. You don't have the right to tell other people, so stop, again, repeating that slogan or that propaganda that we live in one of the freest countries on the face of the planet. That is untrue. How can that be true when you have the world's largest um, prison slave population? See, the United States is just so full of contradictions. I see people, people say that about the Bible, but it is really true about real U.S. history and that what they teach in school. And push out through their propaganda airwaves and platforms. So, They're at the uh,
1: same time, the uh, most successful nation and the biggest failure.
0: Right, right. Um, Max, just to let you know, uh, we do got what, one more segment. I do have a, a couple of clips I want to play for our abolitionists in profile, but uh, Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio will be on live. I thought they might end up canceling it because of some mix up. Uh, behind the scene, but I do need to reset, so want to get off about five minutes early so I can uh re- do a reset. But I am ready to do our abolitionist profile. But uh, yo, uh, was everybody done speaking?
1: I, I would just this? like to mention one thing. I just got in some breaking news, just as I did last week, and we'll probably leave next week with the story. Uh, but apparently, New Jersey is opening its first rehab prison. And they say things like it allows nonviolent criminals to opt out for treatment instead of jail time, but your treatment happens in a jail. So the next generation of prison for profit has been begun. We'll talk about that next.
0: I um, forgot his name, the guy running for Congress. Forgive me. um, I got to learn his name and I'm sure I will, as we'll have him on the program next week. But what's his name? He talked about this criminalizing people behavior, criminalizing. That's why they get to call them criminals. That's why the exception clause is in the 13th Amendment. So, um, yeah.
1: All right. Well, with that being said, we're moving on to the clips we have available for our abolitionists in profile this week here on New Abolitionist Radio.
0: Our abolitionists in profile Uh, This week is Mary Prince, born in 1788 and transitioned in 1833, the first woman to present a petition to Parliament. A Mary Prince was born in 1788 to an enslaved family in Bermuda. She was sold to a number of brutal owners and suffered from terrible treatment prince ended up in antigua belonging to the wood family in december 1826 she married daniel james a former slave who had bought his freedom and worked as a carpenter and a cooper for this act she was severely beaten by her master in 1828 she traveled to england with her owners she eventually ran away and found freedom but only in england and she could not return to her husband Mary campaigned against slavery, working alongside the anti-slavery society and taking employment with Thomas Pringle an abolitionist writer and secretary of the anti-slavery society. She became the first woman to present an anti-slavery petition to parliament and the first black woman to write and publish an autobiography, the history of Mary Prince. Wow. You know, we got to send this to, uh, Some of those black filmmakers out there uh, that um, have uh, access to the silver screen. Uh, But the first black woman to write and publish an autobiography, The History of Mary Prince, a West Indian slave. The book was a key part of the anti-slavery campaign. It made people in Britain aware that although the slave trade had been made illegal, the horrors of life on the plantation continued For so many people, extracts from Mary Prince's account are provided. So I want to go into those from her autobiography.
11: We follow my mother to the marketplace. At length, the venue master, who was to offer us for sale like sheep or cattle, arrived and asked my mother, which was the eldest. She said nothing but pointed to me he took me by the hand and led me into the middle of the street and turning me slowly round, exposed me to the view of those who attend the venue. I was soon surrounded by strange men who examined and handled me in the same manner that a butcher with a calf or a lamb he was about to purchase. The bidding started at just a few pounds and gradually rose to 57. The people who stood by said that I'd fetch a great sum for so young a slave. I then saw my sisters let forth and sold to different owners. When the sale was over, my mother hugged and kissed us and mourned over us, begging us to keep a good heart. It was a sad parting. One went one way, one another. The next morning, my mistress set about instructing me in my task. She taught me to do all sorts of household work. She taught me, how could I ever forget it? The exact difference between the rope and the whip when applied to my naked body by her own cruel hand and there was scarcely any punishment more dreadful than the blows received on my face and head from her hard, heavy feast. She was a fearful woman and a savage mistress to her slaves. I was immediately sent to work in the salt water with the rest of the slaves. I was given a half-barrel and a shovel and had to stand up to my knees in the water from four o'clock in the morning till nine when we were given some Indian corn boiled in water. We were then called again to our task, and worked through the heat of the day, the sun flaming upon our heads like fire, and raising salt blisters in those parts which were not completely covered, Our feet and legs from standing in the salt water for so many hours soon became full of dreadful boils which eat down in some cases to the bone. We came home at twelve, ate our corn soup as fast as we could and went back to our employment until dark at night. We slept in long shed Divided into narrow slips, boards fitted upon stakes, driven into the ground without mat or covering, were our only beds.
0: New abolitionist radio salutes Mary Prince, born 1788, 1833, the first woman to present a petition to Parliament and the first. Black woman to publish an autobiography. Salute,
1: Salute. Mary Prince, indeed, man. Uh, Love yeah. Segments, dude. Uh,
0: Spike Lee, if you're listening. Oprah Winfrey, if you're listening. Uh, any any of uh Ava DuVernay, um, Netflix, go ahead and finance this, uh this film right here. Uh, her auto. Biography, And as I was listening to that, as I have stated in the past, that all the horrors that we hear about slavery pre 1865 are pretty much the same coming off the prison plantations, you know, post 1865 slavery and human trafficking. And that's what really stood out to me in hearing um, of the dramatic presentation from her autobiography about how they were treated.
1: Yeah, my favorite parts of the evening are these segments where we uh, visit history and the present and the people who made things happen in such a way. Salute once again. Well, it's our last five minutes of the program. Um, I have a, a couple of announcements, and I just put them on New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. You'll be able to go ahead and check it out. Remember to support the March, Millions of Prisoners March on Washington, August 19th you can go to imweubuntu.com in order to sign up yourself or your group uh, and just show your solidarity and also on May 13th uh, I w- there will be the fifth annual spoken spoken word gala in which I will be the recipient of the Willbell Humanitarian Award you should get tickets while they're still available and historically speaking uh, coming up on the 12th or uh, the 29th of April I'll be in Asheville working with the um, Quakers there in a viewing of the 13th and the discussion with Max Parker. So if you're in the Asheville area on the 29th, uh, check me out there and we'll watch the 13th and then we'll talk about it together. Scotty?
0: Yeah, let's go into our, our final comments. I'll go ahead and start it off, but I just want to reiterate how important it is that people from all walks of life that are impacted by modern day slavery and human trafficking, even if um, you haven't done time on a prison plantation, chances are you know someone, perhaps someone in your family, perhaps several people in your family who have, so you are affected. So there is a need for these public displays of your passion, of public display, displays of your numbers and, and strength. And so that should equate uh, millions of people by that wide definition that i gained you know that's why it's, it is you know the some of the uh family organizations you know are uh, representing these prisoners are participating so definitely you want to show up for the millions for prisoners human rights march you can just google that and you'll find um links to the information that you need to give you more information again that's on august the 19th 2013 i believe um activities officially begin at twelve and run all the way up to about five p.m. on the Washington Mall, I believe is, is what it's called but those are my final comments. Um uh, uh, be become an abolitionist.
5: Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors
1: <laughs> Sweet and simple, man. Uh I guess I'll say it the same way. Uh, I quote Dennis Waitley. Since it's National Poetry Month, there are two primary choices in life to accept conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. And remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Pause, no pause, no
2: pause.